Welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast, the podcast for physiotherapists and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long Covid and our allies in clinical practice, research and policy to join the discussion. Hello and welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown. I am a physiotherapist and I am living with Long Covid. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Elaine. Elaine, will you do us the honour of uh, introducing yourself? Yes, thanks, Darren. Um, So I'm a dietitian. I've been a dietitian for over 12 years now. Um, So I have a background in neuro rehab stroke rehab and palliative care Um, and I also do some freelance work as well. Amazing well Elaine thank you so much for being with us today as a dietitian. Um, I know that uh, we haven't formally met have we? We we, we met through our our online group peer support group for people living with long Covid and so um, I can hear your accent but I wondered where you were based. So I'm based in Manchester, um, but obviously from Ireland, um, not far from Dublin. So a place called oh, yeah. Kildare. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been here for yeah over 12 years now. So I came here pretty much straight after university and yeah, kind of stuck here now. <laughs> stuck. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Elaine, I wondered if you would be happy to share with us your own personal experiences of long COVID and um, what experiences you've had. Yeah, so I was, um, I tested positive on the 28th of April 2020, um, a few days before I came down with the kind of fatigue and then the following day I had um, a temperature and lucky enough at that point um, healthcare professionals were kind of getting tested um, so I had my test and I didn't actually get the results um, for about four days so all that time I was in bed um, not feeling very well um, I had the the fatigue and the aches and pains I had a temperature for a few days and I also had sinuses, sinus pain um, and headache. And basically I couldn't kind of breathe through my nose for like the first kind of week or so. I've always had sinus problems, so, you know, I'm kind of used to it, but it was, it was another level of kind of, you know, it wasn't just like a cold. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't worried, you know, I thought, you know, a lot of my colleagues, a few people I'd heard of, you know, were fine you know they came back to work after two three weeks with maybe some fatigue but so I was thinking well I'm young I'm fit I'm healthy um I'll be fine um and so it continued then that the, the the fatigue um continued on for quite a long time um and the headaches and sinus pain that that was quite you know intense for the first two weeks and then the sinuses improved a bit and that's when I noticed my smell definitely had gone and my taste had gone as well so I really struggled with taste and smell loss and I'd say for the first three months really Um, and you know funnily enough you know working with patients I've been working with patients with smell and taste loss you know on most of my my career so it was a really 
I was really able to empathize with what people go through um, when they lose their taste and smell um, and the frustration about not being able to, you know, enjoy food. And luckily my, ap my appetite was up and down. There was days where I couldn't eat. And I think for the first two weeks, I think I had, you know, honey nut crunch cornflakes for, you know, that's all I could manage because I needed something with texture. I needed something with sweetness. And yeah, I, I could manage to get that down. But I knew, you know, I needed to start eating a bit better because I couldn't continue like that for a long time. And um, so, yeah, I kind of thinking of taking my own advice, really. So started to think about, right, what can I do to my food? You know, what can I make better? And I'm so lucky. I have a wonderful husband who's also a fantastic chef. Um, and That's very he, lucky. I, yeah, like really lucky. He does most of the cooking in our house. Um, oh wow not um, envious yeah <laughs> no, um you know I was telling him oh maybe we can try things like um like lemon chicken which is something we wouldn't or ordinarily have but it's a really strong flavor like sour flavor and I really enjoyed that and then obviously spices and things like that which we normally eat anyway but he was like putting a lot of spice into things and I was like no nah, can't get it and he was like having head sweats <laughs> so you know he was helping and luckily I, I could eat um you know after the first kind of initial two to three weeks I started to be able to eat um so yeah that was kind of the initial stages um and like I said the fatigue continued um and that was the real struggle but the biggest struggle for me was the headaches so mm. my headaches I think I had a week from week two to three where I didn't really have a headache. And then I remember the day it started. It was a Sunday evening and I the headache just came back again. I thought, oh, here I go again. So took all the medicate, you know, the usual stuff over the counter stuff and nothing really was helping. And basically this that continued for the, the next eight, nine months was mostly wow. daily headaches every day. So um, my fatigue kind of lifted after about three, four months. And, um, but like I said, left with the headaches. So that was one of my main problems really. Um, along with, you know, I had some other random symptoms like my knees were achy for four or five months. Like all of a sudden they I just get achy in my knees. So wasn't sure what that was all about. Um, like random, like, like a lumps on my lip out of nowhere kind of, went like I was afraid initially like it was this anaphylaxis but it you know it calmed down pretty quickly rashes as well I had some rashes on my torso very very random stuff and then a couple of times I stood up after I was after a rest or a lie down and you know even mid-morning sometimes I had to have a lie down and I'd and I'd stand up and my legs would just literally go from under me and I I would just fall to the floor that happened a couple of times so that was that was quite frightening really um yeah so wasn't really sure what was going on but you know the the GPs were weren't sure either to be honest you know so like many people they were you know we were just kind of told to kind of just keep resting and and, and get, on, get on with it really you know which I totally understand because you know specifically back then we definitely didn't know much about it and no. what there was no long COVID in those first three or four months, it probably six months, I'd say. 
Um, so yeah, that that kind of happened, and uh, I, I kind of started to think, oh, I need, I really need to seek some help, help, and 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 I knew that getting referred to like a neurologist for my headaches through the NHS that was going to be, you know, a long way. So I decided to to see a neurologist privately, just on the phone. Um, who started me on some medications and kind of was treating it like a migraine um, yeah. because I had like black dots and I had some kind of, uh, what's the word, um, kind of symptoms of what a migraine, like I'd feel it coming on or getting worse, yet I'd have it all the time. So the medications didn't really make a difference. And unfortunately, um, I then started having heart problems and palpitations. Um, by that stage I was doing a little bit more activity so that I don't know whether that was something to do with that along with maybe a re reaction to medications um and uh, had a, a really horrible experience one evening when I woke up in the middle of the night I wasn't anxious going to bed it was just another headache long COVID day um but I woke up in the middle of the night with my heart like pumping out of my chest and like really really intense palpitations and I actually had pain down my left arm think so knowing what I know I thought hmm is this something dangerous um so I woke my husband up quite quickly and said I'm not well and then I went into a, a state of kind of panic I think so that wasn't very nice um and we felt we needed to ring an ambulance so we had the paramedics out in the middle of the night um which Thank God for them. I mean, the, the the two the two women that came were just absolutely so reassuring and amazing, and did in like an ECG and um, you know just checked everything and said you know it's okay. And by that stage, think things had calmed down a bit, um, and they they just said, look, we can bring you in, we'll, you know. And then we spoke to a, a kind of an, an out of hours doctor, who who kind of said, look, you can go in and sit in A and E but you'll be there for a long time or, you know, yeah. speak. you know, they weren't worried that I was having some sort of a cardiac event basically, which was so reassuring. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that happened. <laughs> and, yeah. and then I, 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 because it was so frightening, I sought advice from a cardiologist and had an echo and um, an ECG and ended up actually having a cardiac MRI, which, was really reassuring because they didn't find anything. And I think for me, that was really, really important um, because by that stage, you know, I think we were four or five months in, I was starting to worry, think, what has this virus done to my body? Why am I feeling like this? Um, and yeah, that was my first four or five months. Um, and then there was a lot more coming coming out on kind of the social channels you know the support groups around different things that people were being diagnosed with and I was thinking mm, this sounds something called POTS and I started looking POTS up so that's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and um, I started looking it up and started thinking looking at the symptoms I thought I have a lot of these symptoms I wonder whether the, you know that's something happening with me so I, it, we're probably talking October time, I, I actually asked the neurologist to refer me to a specialist centre for POTS because 
I'd done my own stand and um, uh, lying standing test um, as you do because you you know you read up about it and my heart rate was you know continually raised after 10 minutes so I was kind of technically kind of fitting with the the diagnosis criteria um and I got referred and I ended up in November going for a tilt table test which I'm sure you've probably heard of that um and that was over in Sheffield and I have to say Sheffield Teaching Hospital the team there were absolutely amazing I couldn't fault the the whole test and the situation um, and yeah, I mean, I can't, I don't know whether you can say you failed the test, but once I was, I was flat and then I was vertical. I, I mean, I passed out within one minute, you know, it was quick. I didn't even know it was going to happen because I, I had a headache that day, but you know, I, f I felt okay. So something was going on with my heart rate, my blood pressure. And I, at the time they said, you know, yes, your heart rate did go up, but your blood pressure went up and then dropped significantly um and hence why I passed out so um at that point I was advised kind of the typical lifestyle changes for POTS um which are, is things like drinking enough fluid like three liters a day and actually increasing your salt intake which again should only be done if if a doctor has actually told you to do that because we know salt isn't good for us <laughs> um, so I wouldn't advise anyone who's got long COVID just to suddenly start taking loads of salt um, <laughs> and actually the challenge of doing that I can't believe how challenging it was I mean I work a lot with stroke and that's one of the things we talk about is reducing your salt intake because of obviously increasing blood pressure um but yeah because I wouldn't have had a, a massively salty diet you know have salty snacks but I wouldn't have processed foods or anything um so that was quite tricky you know um but I tried um to, you know started to measure it out as well because the you know recommendations like five six grams a day um as a standard uh, for somebody with POTS um and yeah things improved a little bit with that but not massively um I was also very aware of discussions that were being had on the social groups and also some doctors actually recommending um, things like a low histamine diet for symptoms of long COVID based off the fact that, you know, there's a hypothesis that, you know, long COVID is a form of mast cell activation where histamine is raised in the body. And um, obviously, thinking well I'll try anything to feel better as you know oh. that's our life isn't it you know when you have yeah. long COVID you, you'll do anything and well, you're desperate aren't you actually you're absolutely desperate so I thought well you know what I, I have the knowledge I'm pretty confident I know what I'm doing so let's give it a whirl and unfortunately for me I would say it may have helped but it, it's so difficult to pinpoint whether it was it was definitely a help but it it could have been a help because I did improve over that that time um but not not to the point where I am now oh, yeah. um and I have to say how difficult it was and how restrictive and how you know I would say you know I'm not recommending it to someone you know again who's got 
long COVID shouldn't just go out and start a low histamine diet. I think a lot of people have. And I think we need to be aware of how limited the nutrition can be within it, especially if you're already limiting other things or if you were vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. Um, I must admit, Elaine, like I looked into the low histamine diet and I, I don't eat meat. I can't eat gluten. And I felt like it, it wasn't very clear what constitutes a low histamine diet. There seemed to be differences, but like by the end of it, I felt like I'd be left with watercress. And, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I can't do that. But I've tried to limit some things. Like I don't have green tea and stuff, but like, mm. um, yeah, I haven't been able to really adopt it because yeah, it feels really restrictive. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's, you know, well, it's only my opinion, but I don't think it's going to be for everybody. And I don't, and it, and it appears on to help some people and not help other people so um I think it's important to say that just because I as a dietitian have tried it doesn't mean that you know everyone should go and try it and speak to your doctor seek support if you are going to try it because a long-term low histamine diet could have impacts on your nutrition and your you know long-term nutritional consequences as well very sensible Um, yeah, yeah. But hopefully, you know, as dietitians that we um, I've been speaking to the food allergy specialist group of the BDA and hopefully there will be some sort of a kind of position statement for dietitians at least. And to say, you know, what what we feel, what the evidence is um, and, and what the advice is. But the message really is, you know, don't go and, and, and follow this diet long term on your own because you could be missing out. So maybe seek some support. Very important. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like Elaine, you would it, would it be right to say that you you are now kind of 10, 11 months of living with long COVID? Yes, it'd be 11 months today or tomorrow, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely come a long way. And I think for me, it was really probably the end of January where I started to see a big improvement. And that's when I had my kind of official results from Sheffield and the POTS kind of test and actually I don't have full-on POTS which I was kind of how interesting time yeah at the time I was oh okay this is this is good news you know um but that I had a form of dysautonomia um and this you know postural orthostatic hypotension um um, and, and after speaking to the specialist nurse there, I realized I actually probably wasn't having enough salt. Right. And um, even though I was like, I was sure I was because all I could taste was salt in my mouth for a month. That's all I could taste. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I've just got images of like a horse kind of licking a salt block now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I like it because I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of been in some support groups, you know, for um, POTS, you know, patients. And I really feel for people because some people really struggle with the taste of salt. And I mean, you can buy salt tablets and different kind of electrolytes and things. But again, I wouldn't say go out and buy things like that without speaking to your doctor. Um, but I really, really hit home with the salt, but kind of at that point, kind of end of January. And I feel like that made a big difference as well That's as, mm, as well as raising, like I sleeping with the head of the bed raised. Oh, do you? Okay. Uh-huh. 
well I don't need to anymore actually but I did for yay (laughs) yeah because I was in I was in the other room so because my husband couldn't uh, he was like I don't think I can do this um so but that that was helpful because it was basically like your body you know is is it has less of a shock in the morning when you're when you get out of bed that you're not going from as flat you know to to standing up and that's my understanding of it obviously I'm not a specialist um (laughs) and yeah the fluids and then actually compression types as well so again my understanding is it's that it's helping your your blood basically pump back up you know up to your brain basically and I felt as well at the time I had another symptom which improved with all of that is is kind of like shoulder pain and and I looked into that and again read about this something called coat hanger pain which was about um I don't know if you've heard of that before not familiar with that personally but yeah yeah but I think it's common in 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 pots and um, dysautonomia or maybe not common but prevalent um, yeah. and um, yeah it's about the, the the blood not getting basically up to this half of your body and it can kind of cause cause issues oh, interesting yeah so like up the back of the neck which didn't help the headaches you know so that's so fascinating because I have heard some people ask recently about kind of neck and shoulder pains and yeah. not really making any sense. But it seems to be amongst people that are also reporting like always getting dizzy when they're showering um, and having these type of um, yeah. dysautonomic type pictures. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, fascinating. I didn't know of that. Yeah, well, I, it, I think it has become clear that POTS is being diagnosed post-COVID and I think there's evidence and for me, I was looking at case studies from America, you know, even just one or two people being diagnosed with, with POTS post-COVID. So I was kind of, you know, thinking, oh, this could be me. Um, so I'm still not back to the way I was. I mean, I was really, I would say I wasn't really fit, but I'm a naturally kind of fit person. I was running maybe 5K twice a week. I loved Zumba and yeah. you know, out in the garden you know doing all the kind of I was all I would say I am a doer I like to be I'm going all the time busy um I was working two separate part-time roles plus doing freelance work before all of this mm. um and I think for me you know even three four months in that that really not being able to get back to what I was doing and having my life kind of put on hold I suppose which you know again happens to so many of us that really started to affect me kind of mentally and I started to have to deal with all of that on top of the physical symptoms as well and luckily I was able to do gentle yoga kind of the whole time oh great I'm nothing nothing like bending nothing with like head downward dog or anything think of that of course you can't do a downward facing dog when you go when you get a faint when you do that (laughs) or headaches or you know I I really needed to be very careful but um it kind of gave me that focus in a day to have a little bit of you know I'd get up in the morning I'd make sure I have my fluid my salt or whatever um and I might be able to get for a little walk, although the first few months I didn't go on walking on my own because every now and again I'd get palpitation and it, you know, even walking up the tiniest of hill, my heart would go boom, boom. 
and it's not a very pleasant thing to experience um especially when you're used to just kind of going right going for a run boom and you're out and you're gone and you, you know you've never had a problem with it um but yeah th- for me how I managed it I mean I had amazing support from my family my friends my colleagues were amazing and my husband of course you know he was always watching over me luckily he was working from home the whole time so it, you know every kind of couple of hours he'd come out of his his office and, and come and see if I was okay and I think if if I was here on my own all that time I think that would have been a lot harder um but as and I really feel for anyone who lives on their own you know having to go through what what anything similar to what I've been through um but yeah having a bit of a routine for me was important um getting to know when I was more fatigued I would in the early days I would crash after lunch like properly crash like I'd make my lunch and then I'd just have to sit down and I couldn't couldn't move um and then I'd obviously have to go off how bad my headaches were as to what I could and couldn't do so it was the little things but it was just so hard to have to just sit down as well no matter how bad you feel you still want to be doing something I feel that yeah Mm. Yeah. that's been real tough for a lot of people I think yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah luckily and I hope this will help other people that you know I feel like I'm I've definitely turned a corner I returned to some part-time work uh, beginning of February time I've been really lucky um, with one of the jobs I have. I can work, you know, from home. Um, and my team have been super supportive and, um, you know, kind of dabbling back in my freelance work now, which is, is it feels good to be getting, getting back to feeling like me again, even though, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not running. Like that to me is far off. Um, I did see a physiotherapist um, who specializes in POTS actually that was before Christmas and that was really helpful because we talked about having to strengthen my leg leg muscles again to help the blood kind of pump back around my body Um, and so that that actually did really help you know because I think even though I was a bit deconditioned I was still walking so in my head I was thinking I'm okay but not I wasn't doing what I was doing before the type of exercise so that that did help and I just can't wait for the day I can just drop everything and go for a quick run oh I know I know it's (laughs) yeah I'm desperate for that too actually and especially with the weather getting nicer and thinking like oh it would just be lovely to go around the park wouldn't it have a little jog and do those things it's a it's a way off but I I don't know about you, but it feels like the trajectory is that of slowly improving. And so yeah. it feels like it's there. It feels like it's it's on the horizon. It, it mm-hmm. is achievable. It's just mm-hmm. with patience and time. And I think, I know for me, patience is the issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was for me. I think for me, patience with the headache was, was the difficult one for me because this constant headache, I just was like, when is it going to end? Um, and you know luckily it started to improve and I still have moments and still have like sometimes I'd get a little bit of a headache but it would I'd go to my you know like have I drank enough have I had enough salt do I need to sit down you know you know I'm still having to 
treat myself in that way I can't just go oh everything's fine because I know I won't feel well and I'm still getting fatigued on the days if I if I've worked quite you know long like I've still not done a full day's work yet but if I've done maybe more than five hours I think yeah like I'm, I'm, I'm still getting fatigued but at the same time I think I keep thinking and I think this is helpful for other people is if you are making improvements just think back about how you did feel at the beginning or whenever and just think oh look how far I've come yeah and then that kind of helps me go right I just have to listen to my body now I just have to take some time I just have to relax easier said than done yeah not many I've got a question for you actually so mm-hmm. your headaches were they potentially related to the the blood pressure challenges then that you were experiencing with that dysautonomia? It sounds like it because I I tried so many medications for for my headaches and none of them made any different like Ooh. like proper migraine medications um and yeah basically none of them made made a difference so um I think the, the headaches are very common in POTS um, and, and that kind of symptoms. So so I think that has made a difference to them, definitely. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, there's lots of arguments about the term long COVID, um, about its use. So I, I'm, I'm a personal proponent of it because uh, I think what's nice about it is that it, it doesn't necessarily focus on... Um, Un, the, the unknowns of uh, the mechanisms that cause this. But one of the criticisms is it's such an umbrella term and covers the diversity. But I actually think that's a benefit of it because we, yeah. we know that people that have contracted coronavirus present with really different symptoms. And, you know, if I just think about how you've described your symptoms and they, they feel very different to the symptoms that I've experienced, mm. but there's so many opportunities to share and learn from each other through this mm-hmm. uh, because certainly peer support has become an incredibly important thing in the absence of a lot of people being able to access uh, maybe healthcare services or, or be provided with the advice. And it sounds like you had a, a really successful journey through healthcare mm. um, through both assessments and and advice and treatments mm. um, but I suppose one of the questions I had for you was being a dietitian and going through this has that been something that you felt has been of benefit to you or has it maybe got in the way at times um before you before I answer that I'm just gonna have to plug this in I I didn't realize my laptop wasn't plugged in oh plug in yeah plug in (laughs) (laughs) whilst you do plug in though I um I was thinking specifically about um how frequently it seems that um people are reporting these type of heart rate and blood pressure challenges and how diverse those symptoms can present so um I I think it would be really interesting to hear about some of those strategies that have been successful for you um but I suppose that really does come from as well kind of about the diet changes so yeah so your your experience of being a dietitian living with long covid anyone who's in healthcare or healthcare professional having being diagnosed with something that there's no evidence for is or like nobody knows anything about is very like well I have to find out you know I I need to so (laughs) 
despite the headaches, I still did so much research online and looked and 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 like you say, the support groups were there too, which was very helpful because everyone was doing their own research, whether they were healthcare professionals or not, and kind of yeah. putting things in, saying have a think about this and have a think about. And I got I got some tips from those groups as well because no nobody knows everything, um, and. It, it, you know, actually, that just reminds me, I want to put my story on one of the groups, you know, to say this is this is my story. Hopefully this might help someone else, you know. Um, but yeah, being a dietitian, obviously, I was looking at all the nutrition things and particularly the histamine, the low histamine stuff. Um, and yeah, it, it really makes you think about how nutrition like how long COVID symptoms impacts nutrition in all sorts of ways whether it be a poor appetite whether it be you know taste loss or changes I know people have had random like smells and things oh, yeah. so that would put you off eating and um, swallowing problems you Ooh. know feeling low makes you not want to eat at all you know um weight gain from inactivity I think that's going to be a big one I, I've seen that a lot and um, yeah, fatigue I <laughs> <laughs> like I really need to get back oh. into the exercise and I really cannot wait for the day that I can start to exert myself again oh, because it is not fun <laughs> no, and that has a big impact on your mental health as well like your body changing or yeah. you know it might be for me exercise has always been a way of kind of de-stressing as well you know so um, many people have said that absolutely yeah but having to accept that and um, mm. has been a real challenge um yeah and 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 the fatigue in terms of nutrition you know making food or you know like even being tired when you're eating i know i had times where i was eating but i was so fatigued that I just couldn't finish the meal and I'd have to go and lie down um, in the middle of a meal. So, you know, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of people as well. So there's so many, I think nutrition is impacted from so many of the symptoms of long COVID. And I think it's really important that we raise awareness of, of that as well. Obviously I'm passionate about that as a dietitian. Um, luckily I've been involved in some work um, with the University of Plymouth and the BDA and hopefully there'll be some guidelines coming out soon around nutrition and long COVID from that. Oh, that's very exciting news. Yeah, just I think there's a there's a kind of a lack of that. There's some information online, but there's a lack of kind of um, more comprehensive kind of what toolkit for healthcare professionals as well, because often I think, you know, GPs don't really have time to go into the details of you know oh you're not eating very well oh you've lost weight they you know little things that people can do to kind of improve that if, if they're poorly um you know so hopefully that will be helpful to 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 everybody are you able to share maybe uh, an insight into some of those uh, maybe guidance points on yeah i think yeah, I think, um, you know, um, it'll be a lot of what we already know, but kind of tailored to long COVID. So things around what to do, you know, if you have a poor appetite, what are the kind of things you need to be looking out for? Um, how, you know, managing to eat with fatigue, um, mm. you know, tips and hints and, and, thing, and things that we would advise anyway for anyone who's ill or who maybe has had a significant weight loss. 
and hopefully maybe some some more information um, about tastes and and smell locks as well. Although again, I haven't seen it, the, the the final work, and and I think we'll just have to wait to see what yeah. what it's going to look like as well. A big unveiling, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. I'll certainly be sharing on your. Um, through, through you and through um, oh my goodness well we would love to share that on our website um, great. absolutely more than happy to do that because I think this is the type of information that a lot of people are actually looking for aren't they because you know food diet nutrition it's part of our lives it's essential it's in every aspect of our fibers of what we do in our days and when health and illness impacts on that it really does impact people. And I think that, you know, currently within the topic of long COVID where we don't really have any confirmed evidence yet on what are the mechanisms that cause long COVID. So therefore, because of that, we don't really have any proven interventions even. A lot of the advice feels like the generic advice, doesn't it? That's yeah. kind of like healthy living. And yeah. I know that certainly some of that is great but it doesn't feel specific enough to long COVID and equally so maybe doesn't take into consideration some of the safety aspects of that. Like I know from my perspective as a physio, that's particularly around the exercise and physical activity. And I wondered if, is that similar or different in terms of the advice that's coming out around, you know, just eat your five fruit and veg a day, have a healthy diet, balance, blah, blah, blah. Is Does that directly relate to long COVID or is there more nuance and specificity and uh, targeted information that may be needed that's emerging because we're learning more now about long COVID? I think the key is that everybody is different. Yeah. And it is really hard to just give blanket nutrition advice because when you think about the, the amount of long COVID symptoms there is, Yes. and how each and every one of them might might impact on nutrition it's it's really hard to just give blanket advice and I think that's the tricky thing with any guidelines or um you know obviously they'll they'll, they'll try to to give you know safe advice for this that and the other but ultimately a tailored individual consultation would be the gold standard you know with a registered dietitian or registered nutritionist but you know um would be the so is it's it's really tricky I think and I don't think nutrition will ever be one size fits all which I'm sure you know most a lot of people agree with um but yeah I you know watch this space I suppose yeah and I don't know whether diet and nutrition is um has a, a central point in kind of like the guidelines that have come out, like around the NICE guidelines or the NIHR's evidence synthesis. Um, but I know that at the moment that there's, it doesn't appear that dietitians are commonly placed in long COVID clinics that are yeah. developing. And I'm wondering if that's a missed trick. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've heard of one dietitian working within a long COVID clinic. Um, but again, not sure whether that long COVID clinic is just for people who were discharged from hospital, mm. you know, who were potentially on ICU. Um, and that is another, that is kind of different in a way to what maybe you and I have experienced being at home, um, being younger, you know, like we might have different problems because maybe the hospitalized patients are more likely to suffer from, from you know, real bad malnutrition. Absolutely. Um, 
obviously swallowing problems, you know, stuff like that. Whereas maybe the other long COVID uh, cohort, maybe it, it doesn't have those issues. So um, they need to, I think that needs to be addressed. And I think that's the thing we need to be aware of is the age that it's the age range of, of long COVID. And unfortunately I've, I've, I've been following the fact that children get long COVID too. And I think that is really, you know, really terrible. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if, you know, how, how you, you gather all of that in for nutrition advice, all of those people, how you target everybody. Cause I suppose what I'm thinking is that we know that in England, particularly. Uh, I know this is maybe very Anglo-centric and I know there are people from all over the UK and all over the world that may watch these podcasts. We know that long COVID services are being developed and their level of access and availability is very different in different parts of the world, uh, where some places they may have them and other places they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also for the places where they might exist, they're also presenting in different ways in their role. Um, so some places are purely in terms of assessment and signposting to other places yeah. and other places are about management and intervention. And so I know that one of the things that seems to be becoming more and more important is how people with long COVID are going to be presenting to health services all over the show. And it's actually gonna be not specialist services that maybe end up dealing with the majority of people living with long COVID and supporting them through these challenges. And so how important it is to have our our wide range of health professionals engaging in these conversations and gaining these knowledge and skills because they're going to be coming, people with long COVID are going to be coming through the doors of most healthcare professionals at some point, and it may not be a specialist service that addresses them. Yeah, and I think it's it's where hopefully by us having lived through long COVID, we can help in the sense of, you know, the understanding of what it is to, to live with it and yeah. how it does affect you, whether it be through your mobility, exercise, breathing, fatigue, nutrition, um, and that's why it, it feels like um, a lovely thing that we're all doing, trying to raise awareness and hopefully we can shout really loud. And I think also, you know, thinking of the MECFS community, how, you know, I really never truly understood what it might be like to to have ME or, or CFS. And, and, you know, I cannot compare what I've been through to what other people go through with that but I've had a taste of it of the the lack of knowledge the lack of understanding the lack of you know well we don't know what to do with this you know so hopefully that it might help them as well I know I've heard people talk about that hopefully being a a positive outcome of all this Absolutely. And I think you're completely right, because there's so many opportunities for knowledge to be translated in different directions. And I know that we've learned so much and been so grateful to those communities, particularly people living with MECFS for the knowledge they've shared with us. You know, like I'm sure a lot of that knowledge around dysautonomia and POTS uh, probably was coming from those communities. And then people with long COVID were going, that's what I've got. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Um, definitely. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's a real hope, isn't it, that um, the global attention 
that's now coming to long COVID is not just attention that focuses solely on long COVID, but has advantages and benefits beyond that. And that ripple effect that comes out in many different directions. And I think what's clearly coming out of this is the the holistic person-centered and multidisciplinary care that is required um, and actually listening to what people living with the health condition are going through because who better to know <laughs> yeah, absolutely and and I think I don't know where I'd be today if I hadn't you know sought kind of you know support from those groups or just asked like random questions that I knew only they would understand if you know what I mean like and everyone is generally so supportive on them and I I I real um I, I thank um I I know there was there's a few particular people who started that group way back in in May I think it was but then all the other things like yourself and other groups have just you know kind of come out of it as well it's, it's just fantastic to see yeah, and I know that we're very grateful because obviously you've you've joined us at Long COVID Physio, and I know that uh, certainly in Long COVID Physio, where we don't want to just be physios, we're, we're also a space for allied health professionals, and so we're really grateful for you joining us and 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 contributing your knowledge and skills as well, um, and equally so in the, in this type of format as well, where we are able to share our experiences and share our stories, and I'm very grateful for you for doing that. Um, I've got one last question for you, if that was all right. If there was one thing that you could share to two different groups of people, so the first being healthcare professionals and the second being people living with long COVID, what would be one message that you would like to share to those two separate groups of people? What, what's an important message for you that you would like them to hear? Um, from a healthcare professional point of view, um, is just to listen, really, you know, I'm lucky that most of the GPs I spoke to, quite a few of them listened to me, and some of them were very honest with me, and just said, we don't know, but they listened, and that really helped me, there was several conversations, you know, where I was like, I just feel listened to, so that was nice, so I think that's really important, even if you don't know what to do, it's listen. And to people with living with long COVID, I would say, well, that's a tricky one. Probably a couple of things, but I'll just oh, say you can one. have more than one. <laughs> is, is kind of, I think you've, you know, you've probably covered this before, but you know, that acceptance that you need to just be and give your body time um, whilst, you know, doing all the things you've been advised to do or not do. Um, but accept that also that you, you're not going to hopefully not going to feel this way forever. And I think that to me has been something that I've said to myself, this isn't forever. The way I feel now, you know, hoping <laughs> and luckily it, it's, I'm getting there. So I hope that helps other people. And, um, you know, if they're in a, in a bit of a tricky time at the moment of their journey to just say that to themselves yeah I think that's a really important message actually around the topics of acceptance and optimism uh, so I know acceptance of maybe 
accepting the symptoms and how challenging they are to be able to then uh, accept help and support um, from others. I know, for example, uh, one of the biggest things I struggled with was accepting uh, how much fatigue I was experiencing and that I needed to use a walking stick at one point. And I was not using a walking stick. I'm 37 years old. Uh, but as soon as I started using it, it made the world a difference. But certainly optimism was a really important thing as well about being optimistic that this will not be me forever. Uh, being optimistic that uh, if I do live with this for a long time, um, I can adjust and, uh, and manage and cope um, and still have good quality of life, even with some of these symptoms. And I know that that's a really difficult thing to be to accept, uh, mm. but it's, it's uh, an aspirational thing to work towards, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, well, Elaine, I am so grateful to you today for sharing your story, um, not only with me personally, but with all of us. Um, and also your experiences um, of being a dietitian, living with long COVID. And I am so excited uh, to hear uh, the, the, the new things that are going to be coming out in terms of those position statements uh, around uh, diet and nutrition uh, for long COVID. So good luck with those pieces of work. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be an incredible piece of work that will be very well valued by lots and lots of people. Um, so I want to say thank you very much for today. Thank you.